Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. When I received an email from today's guest asking to be on the show, I honestly didn't know what to expect. I wrote her back and asked, why would my audience be interested in this? She patiently answered my questions, and although I didn't fully understand, she clearly has a passion for the horse industry. Sometimes the best conversations are the ones where you don't know where they're going. Danielle Amet became a lifelong equestrian the moment she sat on a horse when she was six years old. Her experiences as a groom, assistant trainer, and instructor included a variety of disciplines such as dressage, hunter jumpers, and driving. Danielle is also an adjunct instructor for Post University's equine program teaching courses in communications for the equine professional, senior seminars, and equine business ethics. Danielle lives on the East Coast, and we caught up with each other over the phone. On the phone this morning is Danielle Amet, the founder of Enso Equine Services. Good morning, Danielle. How are you? Hi. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me on. When uh, you contacted me about being on the show, I was fascinated about some of the things that you do. And before we get into that, how about telling us a little bit about your background in horses and we can go from there. Sure. I would say I'm kind of a a jack of many trades going way, way back. I, I I do not come from a horse family. You know, I don't come from uh, people who know horses or lived on farms or any of that. And I was lucky enough that when I was a really little kid, my mom was just trying to find stuff for all of us kids to do. So she signed us up for all kinds of lessons, you know, piano, dance, and horseback riding. So it stuck for me. Um, and, and really, I actually got busy with, you know, being a kid and a teenager for many years and didn't really get back into it until 16 through 19 years old and then turned it into a career in uh, my 20s, my early 20s. So I've been in the equine industry since. And from there, I actually, I got my undergrad in equine studies at Centenary University and up in New Jersey. I mean, I've done all kinds of things since then, but I've mainly worked and lived in the sport horse industry. So meaning the, um, you know, hunter jumpers, dressage, I've been around a lot of eventing, and then now I am very involved in combined driving. You've probably never heard of that, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about that. <laughs> well, combined driving is based off of the sport of eventing. It was actually only created in the 1970s or so, but it is a three-phase competitive carriage driving sport that follows the same kind of roadmap as eventing. So there's a driven dressage phase. There's a cross-country marathon phase where you drive around obstacles. And then there's a cones phase, which is similar to a jumping round, but rather than jumping over jumps, you drive through narrow cones on a course. That's kind of where I I landed in the sport horse world. But I really, I've uh, dabbled a lot. I've also had my equine insurance and farm license for a while, so I sell equine insurance and I've organized horse shows. I've, you know, been a show secretary. I've kind of done all kinds of stuff in the horse world, but 
I'm a lifer, basically. I'm a lifer. <laughs> and so, and you have a master's degree in business, I see, and you mm -hmm. started a consulting company. What led you to that kind of business, and what do you consult on? Basically, throughout my experiences in the horse world, I came in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed everywhere I went, and, and, and frankly got a little upset and disappointed that in the competition world you saw a lot of people being mean to each other, being very personally competitive with each other. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, especially in the competitive world, and I realize not everybody is involved in that, but sometimes in the competitive world, when you get too focused on winning and the results and the outcome, first of all, you forget that it's supposed to be fun and you're supposed to enjoy it. Right. <laughs> I mean, all sports, all sports to some degree are really based on, on enjoyment. That's right. <laughs> and so we forget that. And then also what, what else happens is the most unfortunate is that sometimes the horses take the brunt of it. People just not being the best, their best selves and then not making the best decisions for the horses. So I can't always say that I was involved in places that, necessarily hurt horses you know I, I luckily have have not experienced that but you know you witness it and more importantly or not more importantly but equally as important I just kept being disappointed that people were so competitive with each other personally and just wanted to tear each other down personally when really why can't we all just love horses and be friends right like what, there is supposed to be this healthy competitive nature and you know whether that's in competition or even in boarding barns. I mean, I've seen that in boarding barns with right. with people who are not even competing, but, you know, they have to kind of one-up each other or, you know, pick at each other or be better than someone else. What I started realizing was that that was not everybody's best version of themselves. And everyone could be better. And I was very disappointed in that, thinking, how can we improve sportsmanship Right. in the equestrian world because this is really not just focused on one discipline it's not just focused on one area of the sport and like i said it's not even just in competitive sports it's it's in the boarding barns it's it's everywhere really and aren't there two phases of that too is that the, i mean there's the trainer who is making a living training and he may have gotten mm -hmm. into horses for the love of it but he has to make his living so he might Absolutely. He might take competition one way, but then there's a recreational mm -hmm. horse rider that's going out to the weekend horse show, and they got into it because they love their horse, and now all of a sudden they find themselves in a competition, and they're just really getting nasty about the whole thing because they are so competitive. So you have to deal with both of mm -hmm. those types of situations, right? One guy's trying to make his living, right. the other guy's doing it at as an avocation and how do you approach either one of them? Yeah, and what it comes down to at the end of the day is everybody is spending a lot of money, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and like you said, um, you know, the trainers, they're, they're trying to live off of this. So in, in a lot of ways they're dependent on getting good results and so on. But unfortunately I think that's the wrong focus. The, the, the focus should not be on results. The focus should be on the people in other sports, you look at, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, et cetera, they really focus on the people because they are a team sport. Okay. So those sports, I mean, from 
the moment a kid is involved in the sports all the way up to the top level, when they're practicing, they do some drills and some skills on their own, but really they're there to practice with each other as a team. And in any, well, I wouldn't say any, but 99% of equestrian disciplines are sports or even recreation. It's really just you and your horse. Even if you're on a team, the team sports and equestrian still have, you know, a very individual element. So you, it's you and your horse against the course, you know, in the arena, the test, you know, the, the whatever you're doing. And even if your score is being put into a, a team element, you're really just competing with yourself and your horse. And so th- that's not a bad thing. I mean, golf is the same way, right? right? What ends up happening with that kind of structure is that we don't, as as an entire discipline, as an equestrian discipline, we don't put a lot of focus on connecting as people and as working together as people and building the teams. And frankly, when, when you go back and look at sports studies, they talk about how the number one element that and reason that people get involved in sports is for the social aspect. And when we lose that in equestrian sports, we lose the sight of what it's really all about. Again, it's about the social aspect and enjoyment. And in social aspect, I'll include the horses, right? right. We, we want to connect to us not only other people, but with our horses. And if you're so worried about, you know, winning or competing or even just being better than that other person (laughs) in your barn, you're losing sight of that connection with those people and with your own horse, I think. So that's what really inspired me to to build what I'm building now. (laughs) Yeah. And and how do we move the industry in that direction? So what, what I'm trying to do is start a conversation. And what I realized when I stepped back, you know, I'm, I'm a a big book nerd, so I go and I read a million things about, you know, sports and human behavior and all these other things. And when I stepped back, I went, okay, well, we need to start a conversation and, first of all, recognize it, right? We need to realize that our sport is not really built and structured for a team element, so we have to work at it a little little bit harder than, you know, or, or as hard as the other sports are. Right. right. Because they right. they have it ingrained from the beginning and we just don't Now, Granted, we have a lot more to learn. You know, when we get involved with horses, I think you yourself got involved later in life. Right. Right. That's right. There's so much to learn about just the animal and interacting with them and whatever sport or discipline you're going to do with horses. There's so much to learn on how to do it well and right. Yes. So, and you know, that the health aspect of horses and taking care of them and keeping them at home or whatever. There's so much information that we have a lot to digest because of the animal involved in it. So we forget to focus on the people element. So that's what I want to do is just start um, involving that conversation in the industry, remind us that we do need to start working at that a little bit more. And then actually we'll, we'll get the reward of enjoying it again or enjoying it more than we ever thought we could and the horses will benefit in the end. My approach is to start teaching it and consulting with, you know, the leaders. So trainers, coaches, even business owners, 
I mean, I mean, this could even apply to to boarding barns, et cetera. So that's that's my approach, and that's what I'm trying to do is is to get the conversation moving in that direction and get the leaders to want this in their barns. I think it's important, you know, industries and particularly sports, they have to kind of change every once in a while. For example, mm. example that we've noticed recently is football. You know, they used to take so much advantage of their players, and they were just pretty much pawns in the game. And then the concussion and head injury issues came up, and now they're actually mm. changing the sport. They've got all the concussion pro- protocols in place, and they've really made, in my opinion, they've made a pretty dramatic change to protecting their players. And it seems right. to me like that's kind of what your focus is. How about if you if you took us through a typical example of, let's say, a barn that's having some conflicts? How would you go in and perhaps help them? What build a better herd or a team? What? How would you? Yeah, that? sure. So when I started reading about sportsmanship and human behavior and so on. I mean, honestly, the more I read about human behavior, the more I learned that we're really not that different from animals. <laughs> I mean, we are animals, right? We're mammals. And and so I, I started comparing it to horse herds. And I thought, okay, well, horses have figured this out. <laughs> you know? So why can't, why can't we model ourselves after them? Um, it's not so much about connecting with horses is actually about learning from horses. So that's what I try to do. And and what I've done is I've built a model where I've put together, you know, the five functions, main functions that a herd provides to a horse. So those five functions would be safety. It's the very most fundamental function of a herd, right? They, They need the safety in numbers. So the safety that comes with living in a herd the feeling of belonging, which is actually very biologically connected in all mammals, really. The connection, uh, social connections that they gain from each other and the enjoyment that they get from that. Development, learning from each other and helping each other grow over time. And then the big collaboration portion right. um, of living in a herd. So taking turns being in charge of different things, having different roles. And so what I have outlined is that everyone in a balanced herd needs to have a different role. So when I go into a barn, honestly, the the first exercise that we do is what I call discover your human herd. And we get everyone together. And it's a lot of getting to know each other on a personal level and sharing stories, sharing experiences that have changed us, sharing the reason why we got into horses, why we love it, why we're still here, you know, just honestly opening people up to connect them to each other. And then after we've done some of the workshop exercises, then we go into um, our role discovery. So what I do is I have I have five different roles in a herd that we will go over and review. And then uh, I actually have a quiz that people can take to help identify what their roles are. But honestly, once you start reading through them, a lot of people identify their own. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, that's kind me. of a fun exercise. I bet. Um, so the, the five roles in a herd that I've discovered are the guardian, the nurturer, the voyager, 
the enforcer, and the prevailer. So these five roles end up building what I would call a balanced herd. And the point of looking into this is to realize that everyone comes in with their own, with their own gifts, their own experiences and abilities and something that they're drawn to naturally. You know, the nurturer is an easy one to understand. A nurturer is going to be someone who's naturally drawn towards helping others and supporting others and being a peacekeeper and all of those kind of things. But the point being that we we find out the gifts that come to us naturally and appreciate each other for them and realize we should not be the same because you can't have an entire herd of just nurturers or an entire herd of just voyagers. You know, it, it won't work. You actually need all of those different roles to keep the herd balanced. And, and the idea is to work with more of um, a herd structure that's equal and balanced and everybody takes turns leading versus a hierarchy. Oh, that brings up a, a good question. So you say, so you named them off. And what if a herd has too many enforcers or too many prevailers? Mm-hmm. They, they sell, those guys sound like the bosses at the, they're the top of the chain. Do you have to then have some of them advocate that position for a time, let others be the enforcer, <laughs> and then they have to they have to practice being a nurturer. That would be tough to go against their personality, wouldn't it? Right, right. That's a great point. So, generally speaking, you can't really change who you are. I mean, you can change your behavior, but you can't change who you are fundamentally and what you're drawn to, right? Right. So you're right. In a lot of ways, if you have an entire herd of enforcers, everybody's going to be bossing each other around and no one's going to actually be listening. And that's a problem. So honestly, you know, if, if I go into a group and I discover that everybody is the exact same, which, by the way, we've gotten close to, but never... I've never actually seen that where it's every single person is exactly the same. If we had that situation, then what I would suggest to that group is, all right, so you might need to tap into some of your other gifts as well, but also just realize, hey, when you're being bossy and I'm being bossy, we can just laugh about it because we know what's happening here and we can appreciate that in each other and realize that we're the same in that way and maybe also be a little more forgiving. So it's also a little bit about just realizing that about each other. So you're not so offended or on edge when somebody is just being themselves, you know? So a lot of it is just awareness. But I would say that I I don't think any one person is just one of these roles. I do think we take on a little bit of a few of them. And it does depend on the situation and where you are. And, And, you know, in your family, you might really be one role. And then at work, you might kind of take on a little bit more of another one. There is a little bit of flexibility in that way. But the point of it is really just to have people see each other a little differently and, you know, open the door for some empathy and relation. And and again, that connection and belonging, like it's okay that you're a little uh, this way and I'm a little that way because we balance each other out. Right. And if you just bring that self-awareness to some people where they may realize, well, I'm a nurturer at home, but I'm a, I'm an enforcer at the, the barn. If they realize that there's two sides of them, they can take that nurturing side to the barn and, mm-hmm. and, and they'll, they begin to recognize what personality 
be they are exhibiting and mm-hmm. they can also change it to fit the situation. Can you give right. us an example, Danielle, of how a barn might have been before your consulting and what it became after? I see. In, in a lot of my past jobs, I'll say, I've, I've run into a lot of conflict management. So I have a fairly comfortable addressing things that are confrontational. What's hard is when the people you're working with aren't really willing to open up. So that can be the challenging side of it is, you know, I'm, I'm happy to walk in and take this on, but sometimes, you know, that's hard. Uh, Change is hard regardless, but sometimes it's hard to let go of your own opinions of someone else or your own opinions of what happened and so on. But what we have done, I mean, besides the, the personal connection side, which is that first that whole first um, element of discovering your herd, we actually move into more practical uh, work, which is once we know everybody, where where everybody is happy to fit in their roles, then we go through and look at the job responsibilities. And part of what I do is I explain how work structures are very much hierarchical. Sorry, there's a cat. Hey, buddy. I have one Um, too. He's going to join us. So, um, work structures definitely definitely have a hierarchy. There's the boss, there's the manager, there's this, there's that, and everybody below that kind of trickles down into line. But I think that's incredibly problematic for well, work or even social groups in general. The person who's at the bottom or near the bottom is always going to feel less valued. They're honestly, they're going to shut down because they don't think that they can contribute to the group in the same way. Like, oh, I'm just going to do what I'm told and blah, blah, blah. And this is why you see a lot of barn workers, you know, cycle through. You don't see people really stick around a lot of times. Maybe the barn manager had been there for 15 years, but you don't often see the barn workers stay for a long time because they may not be allowed to or even think that they're able to contribute their own way. So their brains are shut down. They're just doing what they're told. And eventually people get tired of that and want to move on. Right. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing. You know, that's great. But I think if we could create an atmosphere where people are more of a team and that, that herd aspect rather than a hierarchy, then they would be able to contribute more. So what I do is when I come in, we figure out everybody's role and talk about how great it is that herds are different than hierarchies. And then we look at the job responsibilities and we go, okay, now everybody needs to clean stalls, but who is the person who is really drawn to upholding the standard of how you manage the barn and upholding the standard of, you know, how you do this, that, and the other. So we look at the different responsibilities and then we realize, well, that's not a great role for a nurturer. You know, that person may be more drawn to, you know, the vet care, for example, or something. So we go through and, and really rearrange, um, not necessarily the work. Sometimes it ends up being that, but not always. What we do is we rearrange who's responsible for upholding the standard. And it usually is something that matches with something, you know, their, their natural abilities and their natural personality. So that way they, they take it on as their own thing and they go, okay, so I'm going to uphold the standard for this. And, I, you know, I'm really good at ordering things and organizing things, so I'm going to be the one that does that. And even if they're not the one who actively does all of those chores, they may be the one that just reminds other people or the one that says, hey, you know, we need to do this a little better. 
So that becomes their responsibility in the herd. And we have to make sure that those are all shared. You know, in a horse herd, you don't ever see just one horse doing all the work. They actually take turns. And, I mean, you you have some experience with wild horse herds, it sounds like, right? So, yes. yeah. You know, the old, the old mentality used to be, you know, there's the one stallion, there's the one head mare, and that's it. But what behaviorists are starting to realize the further they study horse herds is that that's not really true. There, yes, there may be a head stallion. Yes, there is, you know, that lead mare. But what they really do is they all take turns doing something. One of them may be the really spooky horse that is really good at alerting everyone of danger, right? Right. So in my, in my herd roles, that's the guardian. You may have one that, again, is the nurturer. You're going to have that one horse that's really good at just grooming the other horses and loving on them, making them feel cared for. That's the nurturer. And then you have the voyager. So the voyager are going to be the horses that get bored and they want to entertain some of the other horses or maybe want to go on an adventure. And they'll kind of drag the herd along because they're like, well, I need to go do something. So you guys are coming with. And so all of these roles are necessary to keep the herd balanced, but it's not just the responsibility of the stallion or that lead mare. They actually all take turns, make suggestions. They may check each other, you know, say, no, we're not doing that, or yes, we can do that, whatever. But they'll actually take turns in being a leader in those little moments. Right. And do you have a, do you have struggles with like the, the top tiers of the herd wanting to always take charge even of the little things that maybe the nurturer or the other people lower yeah. in the hierarchy i mean you know they they have to give up something and they're the enforcer and they don't want to do that so how do you yeah, convince them to let go of some of their responsibilities <laughs> well i i ask them how tired they are that's, that's a great question. So, But Danielle, there's only one is, person who can do it right, and that's me. <laughs> I, I am actually one of those, so I can relate. No, I, I very much understand that. I, when, when someone has to do it all themselves and micromanage and so on, I mean, yes, it, it could all be held at one standard, and it could all be you know perfect just the way you want it, but it is exhausting. Right. And you won't be able to go as far, be as successful, or do as much when you're doing it all yourself. Right. Uh, so you can. I mean, you certainly can do it all yourself, and you can certainly have, you know, your little drone army of, of workers that, that, you know, will follow along and do what you say and do it exactly how you want it and nothing more. But first of all, you're not going to get diverse creativity out of that you're only going to have your one perspective and that's going to be troublesome right and you just won't go as far so i mean yeah you can do that but but you will always be limited and frankly you will always be tired and i I think too that the point that you made earlier was was spot on is that you're going to lose those people if you dictate to them exactly how things have to be done your way they're not going to stick around people are just too independent and Yep. And that doesn't mean you can't have rules or standards or so on. So, you know, when I go into these barns, the first thing we talk about after we've discovered our herd, the next thing goes, okay, what do we want to represent as a herd? What do you want people to say about this herd when they hear about you? And we set, 
we set down the the standard and the values, and a lot of that honestly comes out of the storytelling and and the relation building that we did in that first step. If they talked about you know some bad experiences they had at another barn, and that's why they left that barn because you know they didn't think the horses were being treated correctly and well, then guess what? That goes in the value at the top of the value list. We want to treat the horses well here. So, you know, you you create those standards and values that everyone wants to uphold. And hopefully when everyone contributes to that, then they're all committing to to upholding them together. The idea behind sharing the load a little bit is also is is also having a a shared uh, direction, which I think, you know, we don't spend time talking about. It's like this is how I want this done for the horses and that done for the horses and this done for the horses. And that's great, but it could be a lot more valuable to people if if they buy into it because of personal experiences or if they know why you care so much. You know, you, you develop different habits with your horses based on the experiences you've had before, good or bad, right? Right. So when you, when you hear the story about, why your trainer does it this way and has to have it done so perfectly that way. And you realize, Oh, it's because that, that terrible thing happened once to that person and that really affected them. And, and now they want it done this way forever because of it, that will click a little better with other people. They'll understand it a little better. They'll commit to it a little better. And then hopefully also align their own values with that. So you know, that that's the kind of work I try to do is opening up people to understanding, you know, why they want it done a certain way or so on. And that doesn't mean I go in and change anything necessarily, but it does change their social approach to it. Because with any type of consulting of this nature, it's all the people have to want to change. And so there has to be mm-hmm. a big enough problem for them to contact you I would think, and a lot of people (laughs) have problems going on and then they just say, oh, that's just the drama of the barn and don't feel Mm -hmm. like they can do anything about it. You know, they don't feel like there is a solution. They figure that's just the way it is, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you start with like a one-on-one consultation with the boss and then move into the group or? I mean, typically, yes, Um, that is. Usually it's, you know, just like you said, it's a little confusing about what I offer initially. So a lot of it starts with a conversation of, hey, what's going on in your barn? And unfortunately, like you you said, it is usually because something bad happened. (laughs) Either they, they lost one or multiple employees or boarders or clients. Every once in a while, there's just like a big vacate, you know, I think that's usually what drives people to go, hang on, you know, what happened and how can we prevent that from happening again? Because I I truly believe that if given the right environment, that all people could be the best version of themselves and actually could learn to get along. Now, I do think in some groups it is, if there's a whole group that's jiving really well and getting along, long, but then there's one person who just can't get on board with them or they have different values or different standards, whatever, they might they might be better leaving and, and finding another place that fits those values and standards, whatever they may be. So sometimes leaving is the right answer. It's not the easy one, but sometimes it's the right one. And a lot of times um, I'm coming in after something like that has happened and people are going, hang on, 
we don't want this to happen again. You know, it was all hunky dory in the beginning and then it was not. And how did we get here? But again, going back to people being like horses, if, if I'm working one-on-one with a, a trainer, a coach or someone, for example, if they're really struggling with a the person, then I'll ask the question, okay, let's say this is a three-year-old cult that just came to you with this problem. How would you handle a three-year-old cult? You know, think of it that way as, because we're much more forgiving to horses and we're much more, you know, we offer a lot more allowances to horses right. than we do to people necessarily. We, we kind of expect people to be finished products and we want, we want people to just be good and be done and be finished. But with horses, we always look at them as projects and we look at them with the, with the potential for development. Um, and I think if we did that more for people, it would it would actually go better for that's, us. That's a great and point. I, yeah, that is a great point. Is that we look we do look at horses as they can always be better, but we don't always look at people going, hey, you know, John could do a better job at that if we just help him out. So right, got to build the right environment. Got to you know, got to teach. Maybe <laughs> don't punish, but teach. You know, I. Right. I try to I try to give that perspective a lot, like, you know, step back and think for a second, you know, because we just forget that we expect a lot more from each other as, as human beings. But listen, you know, we all have our worst side and our best side inside of us, just like horses do. Right. right. You take a horse that has been abused and it shows up and it's kicking and biting and throwing a fit. That's because of its past experiences. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you take another horse that never had bad experiences and, you know, had this golden life they're going to come in and be much sweeter, but you can, either one of those horses can become the other. Right. 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 (laughs) So why don't we see ourselves that way? You know, people come in with bad experiences and so they might be on guard or, you know, they might also, I wouldn't say bite or kick, but you know, mentally it seems like that sometimes. (laughs) And let me ask you this. Uh, So, as we as we've gone through all of this, and what would be some entity, be it a barn or a team or a trainer, that would be listening to this and say, "Oh, I need this service." Like who would hire me necessarily? Well, a lot of times it is a head trainer, barn manager, coach, that kind of thing. But I mean, honestly. Like I told you in my email, that social groups are really what I'm after. So it, it, there, there are definitely social groups within boarding barns and clubs, and um, you know, different. I mean, whatever, whatever way we gather in the equestrian world, right? right. Whether it's by location or event or you know, discipline or so on. There's many different ways that we can gather and create our herds and. You know, we're we're already involved in herds everywhere. You're involved with your family herd, your work herd, maybe your barn herd, if that's not the same thing. And really, if a group wants me to come in and, and help them identify how they can interact a little bit better, it's basically facilitating. You know, a lot of times people already know each other. They haven't really asked some of the questions that I'm going to ask. They haven't really opened up the way I'm going to ask them to open up. So I just facilitate a new way of getting to know each other. And then I allow them the environment to interact differently. Right. 
you know, they're not going to do that on their own necessarily. So, I mean, it can be any kind of social group that meets with horses. I mean, even just a group of friends, you know, because <laughs> sometimes those blow up too, you know, yeah. um, we, we see it everywhere. And I don't want to, you know, my disclaimer is that, you know, the majority of horse people are having a great time and are wonderful human beings. And I think we all can be that, but you know, it's just sometimes you clash heads with someone and, and then it all goes wrong somehow, but I don't think it has to. So, Danielle, you're on the East Coast. Do you need to be present to do this, or can you do this online? Do people have to bring you out to their barn if they're on the West Coast like I am? I mean, in the, in our modern age, and especially, you know, post-2020, not necessarily. I can do this remotely. So if that's very possible, I will say that being in person is um, a much easier way to connect with people and to keep people engaged. So I find better results with meeting in person, but um, certainly, you know, it's cost prohibitive sometimes to have to fly all around the country for some groups, especially if it's a small group. A lot of my groups are small. Yeah, I can absolutely offer the service online. And in fact, I'm currently building an online course that wouldn't be as personally customized necessarily, but it would definitely walk people through kind of the the general theory and idea so that if I want to make that more accessible. So um, there will be an online course eventually too. Yeah. And maybe there might be some sort of like clinic like situation. They do it with horsemanship all the time. You could do it with leadership and and barn consulting. So you can make a West coast swing and hit three or four different places. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't ventured out to the West Coast, but I would, I would love to go, especially during these cold months. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have you out here. Okay, so if people want to find out more about your services and, and so mm-hmm. equine services, how should we have them contact you? I do have a website. It's enzoequine.com, and that's spelled E-N-S-O, equine, all one word. My email is danielle at com, and happy to really figure out any way to help anyone. How about that? <laughs> there you go. That's, that's very good. That's, well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Danielle. Thank you so much for being part of the show and sharing your knowledge. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to start this conversation in, in your audience and and I hope people take it to heart. I mean, this is this is what I want to contribute to the industry now. You know, I've, I've found the thing that I want to help change because I really think all of us should enjoy this in the best way possible. And, and I think the horses would benefit. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks to Danielle Amet for starting the conversation. We hope you found it insightful and thought-provoking. You can find Danielle at enzoequine.com. The links to our website and contact info are on wopodcast.com. It's been a busy end of summer, start of fall. I'm sorry I haven't produced many episodes of late. I have plans for some interesting topics coming up. With any luck, I'll connect with those guests and get some work done. It's the day after Thanksgiving as I write this. While I appreciate everyone who has come along this journey with me every time I hit the publish button, This time of year humbles me with the abundance I'm so thankful for. Good horses, decent health, and a not-so-dusty trail to follow. 
This podcast has expanded my experiences and horizons in the horse industry. You, being at the other end, have everything to do with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. As always, if you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, let's hear it. Send an email to john at wopodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. It's always great to hear from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.